So, we're carrying on with, with our series, Activate. I love that title. It actually manages to be the title and incorporate the key verse at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah. Question, activate what? There's a thought. Activate what? You see, let's have a look at that key verse. Oh, sorry, yeah title first. So take the opportunity. Um, uh, thank you, Fabiano, for, 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 for planting that seed, talking about taking the opportunity. You know, one of the great things about living and, and um, being in a really active church family is that you're going to hear lots of things that are going on. There are lots of opportunities. And I'm really going to be talking today, what God's been impressing on me is really talking about taking the opportunity. And it was this key verse that we start with, where this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I don't know, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that I said was, the Holy Spirit is for you. And this explicitly, Jesus says, but you, he's talking to his disciples, but he's talking to us. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, the Holy Spirit is for you, but he's not just for you. We have a cat. Her name's Tia, lovely black and white cat. We've had her a number of years. Our cat suffers from FOMO. If you don't know what FOMO is, it's fear of missing out. Now imagine this, Bev and I sat next door to each other, the cat might be sat somewhere, and then eventually she decides after some long time that she is going to sit on Beverly's lap. Almost exclusively it's Beverly's lap. So the cat comes over and kind of decides, yes, she wants to Probably, yeah, yeah, that's a good time. She's going to go onto her lap. But it's not a quick process. This is a process where she gets on, she kind of paddles a little bit, and then she gets stroked, and then she's getting just about, and then the stroking does stop for her to actually sit down. And then she sat, and then she gives Beverly another look, and that means now you can stroke me again. And so she strokes. <laughs> we are trained, okay? But this is the thing, all of this time and all the time before, there is plenty of time where she could have come to me to be stroked. She could have come for me for fast, she could have come, fine, no. The minute I get up and walk away, even if she has just spent five minutes sitting down, she immediately gets up and trots across to me because she's afraid that somehow I'm going to leave and she's going to miss out. And so at that point she chooses, she's got to have these strokes. She has fear of missing out. And I'm not one of focusing on the fear bit, but actually I think the, the opportunities that are presented to us, I think are, sometimes we don't realize how important those opportunities actually are. Have you ever had a moment where you know, you've had an opportunity presented to you and somehow you've missed the opportunity and then you've really regretted it afterwards and think, Darn, I should have done that. Um, Alini gave me permission to sort of share this. Um, 
they, uh, Fabian and Lee wanted to come um, last night to the celebration, but they realized too late that they had to actually be booked and so missed the opportunity to be able to book. But Lini was literally telling me this morning we stayed over there. They generously let us stay over at theirs last night. And she was telling me this morning how um, it, it, she said it was like a punch in the stomach. She really missed actually going. That It was an opportunity missed. And I think there are times when um, we almost take... I mean, that's a, a, an opportunity where we really feel, oh, yeah, I missed that. But I think there are situations, actually, where there are opportunities that we miss, and actually we don't realize that was an important opportunity. I should have actually been there. Because I think sometimes, because we know God will forgive us, we know we rest in grace, which means, and God has an infinite well of that grace, and I think sometimes we translate that into thinking that we have infinite opportunities. And by definition, we don't. We have a finite life. Our life here is only for a set length of time. And within that life, we have opportunities. And we have to choose whether we're actually going to take those opportunities or not. And I think we get into this situation where we think, oh, well, you know, that opportunity's come. Oh, there'll be another opportunity. But actually, there are consequences to that. If we choose not to do something, then that opportunity has passed by and there will be things that we cannot do as a result of not taking that opportunity. Um, a while back, uh, Dom preached about, I think this was during lockdown, it was quite a while back, he preached about us wanting, if we need to decide what fruit we want in our life and we have to be intentional about the seeds that we sow as to what fruit that's actually going to yield. And you see, opportunities are the times that God gives us to be able to sow those seeds, to be able to yield the fruit in our lives that he's looking for us to plant. I'll give you another example. There was, um, I remember a preacher talking about, um, she was an American preacher, and she was basically saying uh, there was a coming up for an election for a president. And she was saying, the person who I want to vote for, is that person, she was praying to God, and she said, Lord, is that person going to win? And God said, no. And she was like, well, what the point? What, what, what's the point of me actually voting? To which God, actually, you know, God then replied, you are sowing a seed. You see, the opportunities that we get presented when we take the opportunities are seeds sown. And the problem is that we sometimes look, when something doesn't immediately happen as a result of the opportunities that we take, we might think, well, what was the point in that? That was a waste of time. And actually, as far as God's concerned, it's not a waste of time. He's looking for us to take the opportunities to sow the seeds. I'll give you another example, and this is me personally. A couple of weeks ago, when we called for people to come up for prayer, nobody came. And I had this, I remember saying to God, Lord, was, was that a waste of time to actually do that? Because nobody responded. And he very clearly said to me this. He said, you had to provide the opportunity. It was up to each person whether they chose to take it or not. 
And I don't say that as an indictment. I say that as a fact that when there are times that God is calling you to do that, to provide opportunity for something to happen, we sometimes look ahead and say, I don't actually think that's going to work. I don't think anyone's going to respond. And even worse, sometimes we decide not to do it because we think, well, no one's going to actually pick up on that. What God is actually looking us to do is to provide the opportunity. And then it's up to other people to choose whether they're actually going to take it or not. And that is how we live in a free kingdom. God has set us free, which is amazing. But with that, there is responsibility. Within freedom, there is responsibility to choose. And we have to take responsibility for the choices that we actually make. Okay, so why is that important? Um, what the, 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 the passage that we're going to talk about is going to be Acts 2 going from uh, verses 1. It's supposed to be to 13. Sorry, Adam, I'm going to go up to 12. I think you're preaching next week, so I'll leave that one to you, verse 13. We're going to go up to 12, but actually the majority of what I want to talk about is sat within verses 1 to 4. And um, I'm going to basically pick, I'm going to break it down, so we'll start with the very first bit. Okay, I'm slightly inspired by what Adam said at the very start of the, of the series when he said that the preacher that spoke on one word. Okay, so I'm not going to go with on, don't worry. Yeah. On the day of Pentecost... Stop. Okay, five words. It says, on the day of Pentecost. Now then, from the point of view of the believers, did they wake up on that morning and think, today, today's going to be Pentecost, right? Got to go and turn up because it's an important day. Did they know it was going to be Pentecost? No. They had no idea. As far as they were concerned, the day of Pentecost was just another day until it happened just like today, is just another day. We come to church to worship God. But as far as we're concerned, we might come expectantly, but we have no idea what God is actually going to do. So, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers, how many? All, which if you were here last week was, we thought, around 120 or thereabouts, Bruce said. We sort of counted them up. She made a really good point, you know, what about the feeding of the 5,000, you know, and, and I think it's really amazing that after three years of Jesus' ministry, the Son of God walking on earth, the sum total of all the believers comes to 120. That kind of blew me away, but guess what? It's all going to change. Okay, so all the believers were meeting together in one place. I just want to pick out those words, all together in one place. You see, there's a real significance about actually coming together and meeting together all in one place. You know, when lockdown happened, the church had to respond to that. We couldn't come together and meet in church, and so we actually um, started there. Uh, different churches produced materials that could go onto YouTube, that could um, do go live. Um, I actually, um, certainly Beverly and I, we benefited hugely from the investment that Sunny Hill made into actually producing that. I know that a huge amount of time and effort went into actually producing those, and we benefited hugely. And actually, the fact that that sort of culture, to some extent, has gone on is actually really good for the people who can't come to church. Suddenly, the message can go out to them, and that's amazing. 
But there's a downside to it. You see, it has also created the facility, if we want, to stay at home. Because we know, well, we're going to get the message. I could just look on YouTube and we can look, get the message there. Why do I actually need to come to church? Now, if you can't come to church, I'm not talking about sort of if you're ill, if there's something major going on. I'm not talking about that. It's the choices that we make that we can come to church or we choose not to come to church and we choose not to. And it's been made easier for us not to. And so it's, we've got to take the responsibility to actually come to church. You see, um, I'll say it, YouTube isn't a, isn't a substitute to being here. It's no substitute. It's a substitute for not being able to be here at all. But if you can be here, God's calling us to be here. Why is he calling us to be here? Because he says so, but why? Because it's for our benefit to actually be here. We receive through being here because we are all together in one place. And here's the problem. And here's the other thing. You are a unique individual. God has made you a perfectly unique jigsaw piece to fit in his sort of puzzle, in his tapestry of his kingdom. If you're not here, we miss you. If you're not here, part of the family of God is not here with us. And we miss you. And so we're being called to be all together in one place. But here's another thing. It's important for us to be all together in one place because God does things all together in one place. But there's a bit of a temptation. The temptation is, oh, wait a minute, God's omnipresent. That means he can be everywhere. Well, if he can be everywhere, I can be at home and he can bless me there. That's absolutely fine. But here's the problem with that. We're going to skip a bit. Um, we'll come back to the, the bits in the middle. I just want to skip down to the bits where it says, and, everywhere, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Not all the believers and all the ones who were stayed in their home as well, though it did say they were all there. It's the, just the people that were present. And if anyone decided they weren't going to show up on that day, they wouldn't have received, at that moment, they wouldn't have received the Holy Spirit. They would have missed out on the day of Pentecost because to them, just another day. But it turns out today is the pivotal start of the church. This is the day that Jesus has been saying, wait for... And so they've been coming along and they've been meeting intentionally because they want to receive. And this is the point where everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right, okay, so what happens next? Go from the middle bit. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it fills the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like tongues of uh, what looks like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. I'm going to say now, when people are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it normally doesn't work that way. I'm not going to say it doesn't because I'm sure it has since then happened exactly like that. But more often than not, it's going to be someone who's going to come up to you, who's going to pray, and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. It kind of works more like that. And if it's sometimes immediately those gifts sort of manifest, start to, to, to occur. I'll talk more about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a minute. But sometimes it doesn't happen immediately. 
with me, um, I remember being prayed for, and I remember being it several days, if not a couple of weeks later, before the first time that um, I started speaking in tongues. And some people don't speak in tongues, so sometimes other gifts get manifested. So it's not always an immediate thing. But in this case, immediately we have this amazing thing happen. And then coming back to this verse, this, this verse here, basically, it is the fulfillment of what Jesus has said in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, everyone present, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. You see, this fulfills the bit that Jesus was saying, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, there's a problem. They didn't have Google Translate. You know, if you're going to go to the ends of the earth, there's a bit of a language barrier to be able to overcome. There would not have been, there would have been some people who could have taught, spoken in other languages, but they would not have had every language, every dialect there. They didn't have language experts that they could go out and say, well, how, how do we say the good news in this language? So there was an immediate problem. How do we go to the ends of the earth if we can't speak the languages going to the ends of the earth? Answer, but you will receive power. And it says, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They are given ability to be able to do the thing that Jesus asked them to do. What Jesus was asking them to do was seemingly impossible. It was impossible because they didn't felt like they could actually go out and speak in front of people. But it was also practically impossible because they just didn't have the language set with which to do that. And they had no idea how they were actually going to go about doing it. But the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit empowers them. What happens next? At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation. What did Jesus say to do? So he arranges every nation to be present, living in Jerusalem. And when they heard a loud noise, you know, there were two problems that they had. One was being able to speak in every language, but the other thing was getting an audience. That's actually a challenge. How do you arrange, without sending leaflets out or something, 3,000 people to stand and to listen to you? They didn't have, Jesus had gone. They didn't have a ministry focal point with which to work in. But what happened? There was a loud noise, there was a commotion, and everyone starts running to come to see what's going on. He said, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. You know, when you want to talk to people, they sometimes talk about you need a hook. You need something to grab their attention to be able to keep their attention. Because if all it is is a loud noise and they see a bunch of people there, they'll be, oh, right, okay, and move on. But no, what happened? They heard a whole load of people speaking in their own language. And they were completely amazed. How could this be, they exclaimed. These are people from Galilee. They spoke in different languages, but probably they kept the, uh, the Galilean accent with that. They'd have known they would have come from Galilee. And we actually know that because when um, a woman says, uh, sort of when Peter denies Jesus, a woman knows that he's come from Galilee because he's speaking with a Galilean sort of little. So they know they're from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in their own languages. Galilee didn't have the greatest of reputations, and certainly having a load of people all speaking from different languages, you wouldn't be expecting that from Galilee. And here we are, okay? 
Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, um, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, um, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the areas of Libya and Serene. Serene was a really important hub, actually, in Libya, Roman hub. So there would have been lots of different people that would have come from there. Visitors from Rome, the center of the Roman Empire, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. That's a pretty good collection. If you're talking about trying to get to the whole world, that's an amazing starting place, okay? And we all hear these people speaking our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Here was an opportunity, an amazing opportunity. And actually, next week, we're going to hear about the fact that Peter is taking this opportunity. But (laughs) Go, Adam. (laughs) But but it leaves us, I think, with a few questions. I just want to address these questions before we carry on. Because I'm going to talk, we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's a complicated sort of, part of church life, and there are lots of questions that arise upon it, and I am not going to be able to answer every question, and I would encourage you, if you've got questions that have come up as a result of what I'm talking about, take it to small group and ask, because there's time to be able to ask, and you can ask your own personal questions, but I'm going to try and address some of these questions, okay? The first one is, do we not have the Holy Spirit already? Like, I mean, we talk about, when you talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, quite often people say, oh yes, you receive the Holy Spirit. But actually, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about us being sealed by the, with the Holy Spirit upon salvation. So if you have asked Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, if you have asked for him to forgive your sins, if you have said, I am going to follow you the rest of my life, if you have made that commitment, then the Holy Spirit is inside you, dwells inside you right now. And I haven't got the, the scripture up on, the, board, uh, up on the, um, the screen, but it actually says in Ephesians, it says in, in Colossians as well, I think, and somewhere else, Paul says in a number of places that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But in Ephesians it says this, It says, the truth is the good news, and when you heard the truth and put trust in Christ, then God marked you, other words, seals you with his Holy Spirit as a promise. In other words, used as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit um, was given to us as a promise that we will receive everything that God has for us. God's Spirit will be with us until God finishes his work of making us complete. In other words, to the end of our lives. God does this to show his shining greatness. The Holy Spirit is for you, but the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you now. If you have made that commitment to Jesus, you have him. So that kind of then raises the question, what's this whole baptism in the Holy Spirit thing? How's it different? And if you haven't heard of baptism in the Holy Spirit, you might have heard the word baptism. I mean, you probably know it involves water. And if you were along, we weren't. We missed the opportunity. Um, but if you were at um, the baptism, you'd have seen um, it can be either done. My baptism was in the swimming pool. It was freezing cold. Or it can be done um, in the sea. But it involves water. And 
It's more than symbolic, but it is symbolic of the almost we go down like the death of Christ and get raised up like the resurrection of Christ. But it's a symbol. You make a personal commitment to Jesus and you are saved. But this baptism is like a public commitment. It's saying to people, I am choosing to follow Jesus. I am making him Lord and Savior of my life. You're not saved at the point of baptism, but it's a declaration to people. And as a result of that, it's a, it, we need people to witness it. And when Jesus was baptized, it was as a witness to the people around, were witnesses to his heavenly father endorsing him. He said, this is my son in whom I am pleased. And that is a public endorsement of Jesus as God's son, as God's messenger, as God's savior for his people and the start of his ministry. So what then is baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not receiving the Holy Spirit himself because you've already received him, but rather having the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to choose my words carefully given the name of this series, being activated in your life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit being activated in your life. It's God empowering his people to be able to do that which he is asking us to do. You see, we've been through a course on discipleship. We've been through um, courses of the, the, the New Year's Revolution, and those were challenging those are not easy things to be, uh, when, that we are being challenged to do, that we are being asked to do. But God doesn't just leave us on our own to do them. He actually gives us his, his spirit to empower us to be able to do these things. It is about receiving gifts. Those gifts that, is, uh, that are described, some of them about talking in tongues, that's what you've actually seen um, the apostles doing um, in that, that bit. But also it could be talking about manifesting uh, miracles, it could be miraculous healing. It could be giving a prophecy where God is speaking to his people, edifying his church, but also sometimes telling his church, this is what I am going to do. It might be sometimes when um, people speak in tongues, it's sometimes, I have to say these days, less about crossing the language barrier and more often being able to speak freely um, to, to, it could be freely to God or it could be to his church. And it's speaking, it's sort of, English sometimes isn't good enough. And sometimes we need to just speak the language which is of our spirit, which is made alive when we are saved. And it's being able to speak that language to the church. But if it's a language that people don't understand, we need it interpreted. And so some people are given the gift of interpretation to be able to speak to the church, to tell them what it is that God is actually saying to his people. It could be the gift of wisdom. It could be knowledge. This isn't wisdom or knowledge like the world talks about. This is divine wisdom or divine knowledge. Things that we couldn't know because they are hidden from us unless God reveals them to us. And this is God empowering his people. But it's not just about the gifts. 
It's the relationship that starts being formed with the Holy Spirit that when you start moving in those gifts, he starts speaking to you and starts saying, I want you to do this now. I want you to go here now. I want you to go to this person and say this thing to them. But it's also an empowerment of boldness and courage. Those moments that you're actually thinking, no, actually, no. Those are the minutes where we get, those are the moments where we get empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to go to that person and be able to say, this is what Jesus has for you. Or to be able to go to that person and say, do you need prayer for healing? Because it's really hard to do that. And I think the British are especially challenged in that area because we generally, as a culture, we're not go up to everyone. You know, the, you know no one says, you know, when you go into a, into a bus or into a train, do you go up to everyone and shake hands with them and say hello? No. You find a seat, preferably a seat that's in a booth with nobody else around you, and you sit in that booth. And maybe if there's someone in front of you, you might say good morning to them. Maybe. If they make eye contact with you and you feel that you're compelled to say good morning to them, and then you sit down, and then you bury yourself in a book or in your phone or whatever it is. We don't tend to. We're not in a culture that is to go up to people and to talk to people. We're not in a culture to be able to share things that might be on our hearts. It takes time to build up those relationships. But actually, there are moments when Jesus says, you know what, I want you to go to that person and I want you to say this to them. And it's that empowerment to be able to do it. And I'm kind of answering the next question. Do we need this power? I want to start actually by saying baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a necessity for salvation. Absolutely not a necessity for salvation. We are saved And when we are saved, then we have the opportunity to ask to receive the Holy Spirit. So, do we need it to be saved? No. But, do we need this power? Well, let's think about it. Jesus, the Son of God, was filled with the Holy Spirit and needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to do everything which he did on earth. Jesus, the Son of God says to his disciples, wait until you are filled with the Holy Spirit and then go out to everybody else. You will receive power and then you will go out to every nation. So one, if Jesus needed it, who are we to say that we don't? And secondly, if Jesus said to his disciples, wait to receive and then go out, who are we to say that we don't? But, you know, maybe you might be thinking, hmm, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not Jesus. I'm, I'm not going out, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the Son of God. So, you know, whatever I do, it's probably not going to be on the same scale of what Jesus did. So let's think of another example. Simon, fisherman from Galilee. Remember, Galilee, not the greatest place on the, you know, in the world to come from. Fisherman, not the greatest trade to have um, to come from. This is Peter, Simon who Jesus says, you'll be Peter, you'll be the rock on which I build my church. Okay. Now, this is also Peter, Mr. You know, charge off ahead. This is um, Peter, the person who is Mr. Impulsive. This is also Peter who denied Jesus. 
This is Peter who is about to, next week we're going to hear, Peter who's about to stand up in front of 3,000 people. Suddenly, Mr. Impulsive, that's exactly who Jesus needs. But he also needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit because this is the Peter who, not like that long before, denied even knowing Jesus. This is the Peter who's only just recovered from Jesus basically reconciling and saying, okay, you denied me, but I forgive you you're going to still be my rock. This is the Peter who is now going to stand up in front of 3,000 people and tell them all about Jesus. You see, baptism in the Holy Spirit is transformative. It transforms us. And if you need just one verse, this is something that that God gave me um, a few weeks back, a couple of weeks back. Um, And it's from Romans 15, and it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And actually what God was really sort of trying to nail to me at the time was that I needed to trust him more if I want the joy and the peace. So I want to present that to you, but the bit that I'm really going to focus on is the bit that comes afterwards. He says, and you may overflow with hope. What is the hope? The hope is the salvation that we have in Jesus. The hope is the certainty that we are saved by him. It is our gospel. It is the good news. Overflowing means that it goes forth from us. It overflows. If you've got a cup, you fill it with water till it overflows. The water flows out. And how does that happen? It happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we, do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, we kind of do, because that's how we're going to overflow with that hope. And how do we get it? We ask for it. You see, sometimes we just think we're going to sit here and get it, and God's just going to do it for us. And we sometimes wonder why he doesn't. Actually, it's really important. God's a gentleman. He is not going to give you something that you don't ask for. He's not going to just push onto you something that is going that you haven't actually asked for or don't want. And we've got to say that we actually want it to him. You see, the difference between God and the enemy is this. that If you've ever wondered why it's really easy to pick up a bad habit and really hard to pick up a good one. In fact, we call good, getting good habits disciplines because it's hard work. Why? Because we've got to work at it. We've got to want it and we've got to work to be able to discipline ourselves to be able to receive that good habit. But the devil is very happy to pile on the junk to us without our permission because he doesn't love us and he doesn't care about us. And so if you want the Holy Spirit, if you want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, you have to ask for it. Because God is looking to do these things for his people. The first thing he wants to do is to liberate his people. He wants to set his people free. And that's why Jesus came. He said at the very beginning of his ministry, I have come to set the captives free. But this liberation process is a one-time deal. When we're saved, we are saved for life. But it's also an ongoing process because there are so many things in our life that we are bound to, that we are chained to, that Jesus is looking to be able to reveal to us and then say, I want to set you free from that. But he's also here to instruct us. He also wants us to be instructed so that we know, so that we know what, he, what um, 
His plans are for us so that we know the way that he wants us to live. We have to live it, and that means we have to be matured. We have to be, become, grow up. This is why one of the things, as well as showing up to small group, is to grow up in small group. He's looking for us to mature, but he's also looking to empower his people. All of those we have to ask for. We have to ask to be saved. We have to ask to be obstructed. We have to actually ask God to mature us. But we also have to ask to be empowered. And finally, we need to be sent out. Because he's doing all of those things. Now, just to make life really easy to remember that, I kind of ordered that so that it spells, you know, if life gives you lemons, God's giving you limes. But, but... These things don't actually, you know, being liberated, being saved, that kind of comes first. But then, the, then after that, the release in our lives and the instruction and the maturity and the empowerment, these things don't necessarily happen all in order. What does that mean? It means that you can be saved for five seconds and then asked to be um, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not a, oh, you've got to wait two years. If don't do what I did... I was sat in church for at least a year, definitely months, thinking that I somehow had to be ready before, to be, to, before to, um, I asked to be um, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to wait. If you want it, you can ask for it and you can have it today. Yes, amen. amen. You see, and this is really important, some of us are waiting for an invitation for something that we should be asking for. We're expecting God to just do it, where actually God is asking us to meet him on the battlefield, and he will empower us there. How many times in the Old Testament does God fight for his people? Answer, loads. But how many times does he fight for his people without his people ever being there at all? Normally, God says to his people to go and he will fight with them. Now, sometimes they have to show up and God just does the fighting and they literally just have to watch. There are very few occasions. I can only think of one occasion where the fight happens and the Israelites are not even there to see it. They just see it afterwards. And those times, of that time certainly, is a time of spiritual impoverishment. They are not actually in a spiritual position to trust God enough to show up to be fighting. But God is looking for his people to show up to the fight and that he empowers them on the battlefield, on the front line. And we sometimes are expecting God to just do it and actually he's saying, no, I expect you to step up because I am calling you. God gave me a picture and I just want to share it with you. Um, there is a season coming up ahead. We're talking, we talk about race being like, um, Paul talks about it, about our entire life being like a race. But actually, I just want to talk about the season that's upcoming as being like a race. And there is um, a starting line, and God is preparing to say go. And the sad truth is that some of us are sat in the spectator seat, looking at the race, whereas actually God is expecting us to be one of the athletes on the starting blocks, waiting to say go. 
And this is a really sad truth. You see, in our pictures, we, in our heads, we've got the wrong idea. Even if we can see the race and we know that it's going to happen, we see 10 people starting on a starting block about to do maybe the 100 meters. And we think, yeah, that's an okay picture. I can watch that. But God's picture is different. Imagine the London Marathon, but with 10 people showing up. And that was it. That's not a good picture. That's not the picture that God is actually wanting. He is saying that there is a race. Something is about to happen. Here is an opportunity. And I want you to be able to take the opportunity. But quite honestly, if you look at the opportunity and I'm not empowering you, then you're not going to be able to take it. You're going to be scared of it. You're going to run away from it. At best, you're going to watch it. I might say go. And nobody runs because nobody turns up. And we think at that minute, well, was there ever a race to start off with? Yes, there was. God showed up. He said, go. It's our job to actually choose to take the opportunity to actually come and be part of this race. Okay? Quick show of hands. Hands up. I'm not going to actually be part of this. I'm, 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 I'm excluding myself from this. Hands up. If you are a leader in God's kingdom, bless you, you've got a number of people's hands up. Okay, thank you, hands down. Actually, all of you should have had your hands up. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have given your life to Christ, we are all leaders because God has commissioned us to lead people to Christ. He says that we are all a royal priesthood. What do priests do? They are the people that stand between God and the people. They are the people who lead people to God. They minister to people. And we are being called to be leaders. And I want to, we're just going to move into a time of worship. But I want to give an invitation to you. I want you to, to be thinking, to be praying. Two things. Firstly, have I received the power of the Holy Spirit and do I want to? Do I want to take that opportunity? And in a minute, I'm going to ask you, if you do, to raise your hand. And some of us will come round, Bob, if you're okay to, to do that as well, if you see people put their hands up. Um, Jeff as well, if you're about, can't see you. <laughs> Jeff, yeah, if you're able to come round and to pray. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. just have to stay in your place. If you are thinking, yeah, I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you know what? I just need a, a refreshment of that. I need to receive his spirit to be able to just be refreshed, to be able to do the things that I've heard today. And if you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit during this time of worship, if you feel led to speak in tongues, if you have a word that you want to share, then when Fabiano is up, if you wave at him, He'll give you the microphone, share that word. If you have a prophecy, then share the prophecy. This is an opportunity with which to be able to receive God's Spirit, to be refreshed. 
to be refreshed by his Holy Spirit, but also to use those gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I just want to ask you all, could you just stand? And we're just going to pray first of all. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. We ask for your anointing. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. As people come around and as people pray, as people ask for you, we ask that you will fill these people with your spirit, that you will refresh your people with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to come down upon us now.